Just a few things before we get started. Number one, did you know that The Francisca Show was part of Jewish Coffee House Network? If not, definitely go and check out the other podcasts like Orthodox Conundrum, Intimate Judaism, Chochmat Nashim, and Let My People Eat. If you would like to participate in the discussion group where we talk about The Francisca Show topics, podcasts, suggestions, and other things, feel free to join by messaging me. My email is in the show notes. And lastly, I'll try to stay in tune with what's happening in the calendar year. So as we approach the new year and the Chagim season, I wanted to approach this time of year with a sensitivity, new education around topics that concern people who live with narcissistic parents, which is the topic for today. And this can be a very active time for these families who are going back to their parents for the Chagim or have to manage and handle this time of year. So hope this is interesting and hits the spot for why you come and listen to the show. I want to thank you so much for being a listener, an engager, a sharer, and it's truly an honor and a pleasure to produce and host the show. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to The Francisca Show. Today, we are talking about living with a narcissistic parent or surviving a life with a narcissistic parent. And we have a specialist, a trained therapist, Esther Moskowitz. Thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to be here. Let's start out by you telling us about yourself, both religiously and professionally. So religiously, I grew up out of town. I went to a regular base Yaakov, went to seminary in Israel, came home, got my psychology degree, got married, moved to Israel to learn in Kolo. Actually, while I was single, I started working for Aisha Torah. And when I got to Israel, my, I got a full-time job in Aisha Torah in Jerusalem. It was awesome because I got exposed to this whole different type of Torah learning, one that's like really appeals to just common sense and like what you have to tell a grown-up who wouldn't otherwise be at all interested in God to make them wonder why maybe they should be. So I worked there for four years. And then my husband, who was also learning in the mirror, was learning second Seder in Aish in the base Medrash also. He got more and more involved in Kirov. And we ended up getting a job working for Arashim in Israel. They're like the precursor to the Discovery Seminar. So we were doing our fame and then we decided to move to Tel Aviv because they really needed a couple there. We needed to be on site because people like weren't ready to come to a religious neighborhood for a whole Shabbos so that way we could have guests, you know, we could be living there. We did the Tel Aviv thing. We lived there for a year and there I was officially a Revitan, right? Like I wasn't just a person working in the H office. I was working with people. At that point, I had a toddler and I noticed that I had terrible boundaries. I had terrible boundaries and I couldn't do it. I couldn't be taking care of my kids and talking to people. So my husband and I had this frank discussion and we said, you know what, Esther, you need to get a degree. And I thought I was getting a degree to be like, like, you know what, then Rabbitson at Kirova, maybe work with at-risk kids or something that felt like all glamorous like that. And boy, was God taking me in a very different direction. And I just didn't know. So <laughs> I needed to get this degree so that I could have hours 
so that I could say, we have to get off now, so that I could plan my life, so that I wasn't constantly juggling children's emotional needs and adults' childish emotional needs. So we ended up moving back to the United States. My husband got a curative job here and different reasons. We moved back and I started grad school and I went to Fordham University. I moved to Muncie. I started Fordham and I got my degree. I started with two kids. I finished with three kids. I had a baby right in the middle. Um, it took a little while. It didn't go as fast as it did for some of the other students. <laughs> and my first internship was in Project Yes. Like so far so good. We're with you know, we're like, we're with the program that I originally thought. And then my second internship was at Yeshiva of Spring Valley, which was great. And I was learning a whole lot. And then I started working for early intervention, working in a school kind of like morphed into working for EI. At the time, it was like a, the big thing. And I was doing parent training and parent counseling. And I discovered that if the child's having behavior issues and the parent wants to talk about their parenting, so it's about the kid for like the first five minutes. And then like really kids just generally do what makes sense in their world. So really it becomes about the parent who's crafting that world. And it turned into trauma therapy for grownups. Like that's what it turned into because if you wanna be a parent, you can't be coming from trauma reactions all the time. You've gotta be coming from a real strong core. And that led me to hearing enough stories and working with enough people who were really children of narcissists. And that's how it all evolved. One day I learned the word narcissism. Everything click, 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 clicked into place. I knew my passion. These were the parents that I felt the most excited about, that made the most progress, that their entire, when they did their healing on their narcissism wounds and then on their wounds from the parental narcissism, their lives changed, their children's lives changed, the home changed, the personalities changed. Everything changed because they were coming from a self after they did that work, rather than coming from a constant trauma reaction of non-self and whatever, you know, a lot of other stuff I could talk about. So here I am. It turned into a private practice because kids became three years old and aged out of early intervention. So they paid me privately, and then I had a private practice. And here I am, 20 years later, specializing in, ad in adult children's narcissistic practice. Okay, that's wonderful. And I love the, all the context you gave us. Follow-up question number one, when you said you learned a whole lot in Yeshiva Spring Valley, can you give us a, a short version of what you learned? I learned that speaking about motherhood in any terms less than beautiful and special is a little taboo. Today, much less. I mean, we're 20 years down the line now. But I learned that it's hard. It's hard for everybody. It's hard for the child. It's hard for the teachers. It's hard for everybody to recognize that just because someone is a mother doesn't mean they're a goddess. I, I know I'm sounding kind of black and whitish, but it is. It's hard for people to tolerate. And it's really hard in our own healing journey to admit that to ourselves too. That just because my mother is the person who, when I was three and four and five, I thought was God, um, really she's a lady. She could be a good lady. She doesn't have to be a bad lady, but she doesn't have to be a lady who's got everything that everything she does and says is 
is is godlike. It doesn't have to be that way, and it's not even chutzpahdik to think so. It's just mature. <laughs> I'm just going to plug something in. Some of the episodes we've done in the past, for example, something we just did with Naomi Lewis on porn addiction and the partners. A lot of the complaints I got from our listeners were that we mostly focused on the males, even though it can be the female who's betraying. So mm. with today's episode, we're focusing on something where your focus is primarily with women who aren't perfect. Well, we are, but that as you're saying it, I'm noticing I actually disagree with myself on that. No, okay. no, no, no. It's it sense differently. I did my original learning and training with somebody named Dr. Carol McBride, who focuses on narcissistic mothers. But on the field, you know, in my office, it's such a combination. Men, men are narcissists too. They just present a little differently. Yeah, let's talk about how they present. Men and women, you could start with whoever you'd like. Okay, so first I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you one of my pet peeves is when people think that narcissists are mean. Narcissism is just a description. All it means is unable to have empathy. That's all it means. I think in our community, we hurl it around as an insult. It's not helpful to do that. We have to know what it is. It's an inability to have empathy. And then another thing we need to know is that narcissism is not a black and white term. There is narcissistic personality disorder. That means that there is this person is completely unable any moment in any day, no matter how the stars are aligned and no matter how good they're feeling about themselves, to ever know that as much as I exist as a person with a whole experience, you exist as a person with a whole experience. They'll never, ever, ever get that memo. But then there's narcissism, and it's a spectrum disorder. You could be narcissistic sometimes and really not narcissistic other times. It's also challenging to grow up with that, too. It, it creates a kind of wounding, and that's really what I focus on. It's the wounding. It's not about, is she personality disordered? Is she just a little narcissistic? I mean, there's even something called healthy narcissism. Without healthy narcissism, we'd all be raging codependents or schmatas, you know? So I want to talk about the personality disorder and very high on the spectrum. But there is wounding. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Okay. So I'll talk um Dr. Carol McBride, who is my favorite author on the subject, because I feel like she's done her own inner work and she's really healthy about it. She has what she calls the six faces of narcissism. So this is for the wives, the women. One Narcissist is called the flamboyant extrovert. They are public. They are loved by all. They're probably secretly feared by their own spouses and children, but they are, they look awesome. They're, they look awesome. Then there's the accomplishment oriented narcissist. And that means that in order for you to be allowed to exist as you are, you must achieve certain amounts of accomplishments. And that is really, really, really their gauge of your value, your accomplishments. And theirs too. And, and they're, they're the ones who are really, who are going to be very, very invested in you going to the right schools and in having the right part in the play. And I don't want anybody to take this wrong because some mothers do it from a place of caring. But when it really has nothing to do with the actual child, there's a narcissism there. Like, what is that? 
The next, the third one, it's called the psychosomatic narcissist. These kind, these kinds of mothers get attention from you taking care of them, and they use their illness as an escape from their own feelings, having to deal with life. And you can never ever be sicker than she is. And if you are, she will just up the ante. Then there's the addicted narcissist, and that's just by definition anybody who's addicted to anything that thing will be louder than anyone or anything. So attention. The the drug of choice will always will always come before the child. What'd you say? I, I was giving an example of an addiction like attention. Is that an example? Or you're speaking about an addiction like gambling? Actual drinking. addiction. Gambling. Yeah. Okay. Even, All the addictions. Technology. Even in all the addictions. And, you know, we could always generalize to more soft, more subtle addictions. And, and, it, and it isn't any less true. So give me an example of that. I don't understand what it looks like. Well, you said attention, right? So I said it wasn't attention. They're always lying because everything's about the addiction or they need to protect right. their ability to engage with their addiction. Sure. And if child has an emotional need one night and mom's, you know, lost in her addiction, child will not be seen. There will be no empathy. Child's invisible. So, right. so okay. that's, that's that one. Okay. Then there's secretly mean. The secretly mean will really present one way. And then once the doors are closed, she could be really, really mean and it's unpredictable and it, it can be crazy making like uh, 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 what just happened. And then there's the emotionally needy one, which is not so different than the psychosomatic one and that is that this is the mother you always have to take care of and it's a losing proposition to the child the child's feelings are neglected and the child is unlikely to ever receive the same nurturance that the child is expected to provide for the parent so that's how i would say that that's like a, a nice summary of different ways that narcissism presents in women in men i don't have a neat list from the book but there's a lot of accomplishment oriented. That's very, very, very common. Sometimes there's a lot of, there's gaslighting. Gaslighting means that I say something that doesn't make sense and I'm, and you are expected to believe that it makes sense. So there's the, the men, you know, I think really, I'm just thinking out loud here. The men kind of present with the same six faces, just in a different proportion. The accomplishment oriented, the flamboyant, the emotionally needy, all of the above. I've even seen people who thought they were so, so, so close to their parent and then realized, no, the parent's not seeing them at all. The parent is scripting them in a role and they have no choice but to go with the role. They had no choice as a child then to go with the role. And as, they, as an adult, they just continue that way. And they really don't know why they've got all these emotional issues inside. And it's like, well... I don't think you're really being nurtured. I don't think you're really even being seen. I think there's something to look at here. Would you say everyone suffers on some level from, as it says, every man has to detach himself from his mother and then separate from your mother and attach yourself to your wife. So there is this idea that we have in Torah. Yeah. There, there is a healthy element of it, as you said, healthy narcissism. There is we, a healthy narcissism. And there's also a healthiness to having a parent who's like a plain old human 
and sometimes won't be able to be the perfect parent at all times. And we do develop a tolerance and we do develop inner reserves when we have a good enough parent and a strong foundation. And sometimes our parents is off and we've got to like notice it, check with ourselves and then grow our own insides for ourselves. And, and, but in a healthy relationship, mom and dad are happy you did that. They're happy you separated from them when they weren't being okay and they encourage it and they support it. And that'll be the difference. So is separating the only technique, the boundary creating, is that the only way to protect yourself as a child? What I, what I like to say about boundaries isn't, is that boundaries is less something we set and it's, some, it, it's more something that we are. We are boundaried. And then the boundaries just emanate from us and the people around us get that get that vibe, get that message. So yeah, if you want to say that, being a boundary person is the only way to heal. It's the only way to be healthy, even if you have very little to heal from. It's the ultimate. It's I am a self. And yes, separating is the way to do it. Now, again, healthy parents want that for their children. And therefore, you know, as hard as it is, I mean, I've married off children, as hard as it is to marry them off and as, as, un, as much as it shakes up, you know, your whole family structure, you know, you are deeply happy about this. Even if you cry the night before the wedding, you are happy. That, that's a healthy parent wants the child to differentiate, wants the child to have their own self, wants the child to have boundaries. Say to the child, go figure yourself out. And the healthy parent stands on the side and witnesses it and what a powerful role that is for a parent to be that witness. But yeah, it's got to happen. If it happens with the parent's support or without the parent's support, that's where it becomes painful or yummy. What are some unique challenges that from people have with narcissistic parents? And I'm just throwing out an example. Yam the Yamamotovim are coming up. There's a lot of time spending that's coming up for people and their in-laws, people and their parents. Yeah. Is there anything else yes. that comes to mind? I, I can think of naming your children or any other expectations you have for how you raise your family. That's something oh. very cultural. Right. Situations, I, I, I couldn't think of any because there's too many. Every situation is a great opportunity to be self-absorbed and not see your child if that's who you're going to be. I think that our, the unusual pressure that we have is, is, is that big mitzvah, keep it up aim, you know? It's a hard one. And a lot of narcissistic parents really hurl it around as a, as a weapon. It's actually shocking where the double standard of it sometimes baffles me. Like, one second, you're allowed to marry your spouse and go off and try to build your own home and have a separation between you and your parents. But like for your kids to do it, it's not keep it up an aim. For your kids to do it, it's ruining the Masora. What? Huh? How does that make sense? There's 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 a lot of there's a lot of that. That's that's huge. And I it's so hard. I mean, when you're really dealing with narcissism, you need and you like care about mitzvot, you need a rough to keep standing behind you and telling you, no, this is not a mitzvah. This is a story that's made up from narcissism. This, you know, it's not black and white that like mommy and tati being happy equals kibarava aim. It doesn't go that way. It can't go that way. Because if parents will never be happy unless you have no self, then I don't think that that, I don't think that's what God had in mind. 
So having, having a, a Torah source is, is backing you up is just absolutely vital. That, that's a good one. Does anything else come to mind? Any specific situations? Too many. Too many. <laughs> Too many. Okay. You know, finding your path in Judaism, if your parents, you know, becoming more Hasidish, more Litvish, more, more from, uh, if you want to be academic, if you, everything's open game. Everything, everything is open. Everything is available to use for narcissism. Is there a way to win for the child? Meaning, is there a way for them to protect their boundaries and their happiness, but at the same time seem to satisfy the needs of their parents? Or does one come at a cost of the other? Or is there a happy medium? And that is such a great question. That is such a great question. And I'll tell you, I think the answer lies in, I, I don't know the answer if like, I bet there are some parents who can never, you can't go through the healing process without disappointing them in some way. I'm sure, like, if you have a narcissistic personality disorder, if the mom or dad has a narcissistic personality disorder, and unless you literally destroy yourself or turn yourself into some parent, some parents have an invested interest in ruining their children's marriages. So I guess if you want to go ahead and do that, you know, then your parents will be happy, but I will not call you healed. So is there a way to heal without disappointing them? Parents with narcissism, the answer is yes. Parents with the personality disorder, no. You've got to go through a phase where they're noticing what's going, where they can't help but notice what's going on and they will not be pleased about it. But I will tell you that what I've seen is that different people come from a different place when they separate. If you're coming from a blaming and accusing and finger pointing and you're a narcissist place, you're not really separating you're actually just as enmeshed as you were when you were playing along with the narcissism and the parents smell that and they will not let go. When people come from a healing place, which is you're you and I'm going to do my work to just, you know, know that. And I'm going to go ahead and spend my energy learning to be me. They, make much less of a ruckus. They're less blamey. They're less noisy. The parents, they, the parents might never ever be told a word. And that makes the journey the easiest that it could be when it comes from a place of healing myself rather than fighting who you are. That's, that's the best route for peace, peace within and peace without. So let's talk about marriage, that's a big example of when things start to change up, I guess. Any life transition is a potential <laughs> time for there to be a dynamic that needs to be handled. When someone's dating, is this something they should look into? Is this something that they can find out or diagnose for themselves? Is it something they want to stay away from? Let's say someone listening to this is in a relationship with somebody with a narcissistic parent. How much of it will be a drain on their marriage? And do they want to consider that as a big obstacle? It's a great question. Obviously, all things being equal, we'd love a yummy in-laws. We want parents who are going to support our journey of getting through life with the most support in the most supportive way possible. And we want that for our children. And yeah, I'm going to want parents who are healthy, 
healthy boundaries, have their own selves and allow their children to have a self for my kids. Hands down, no question about it. However, there is somebody who's got a narcissistic parent. The difference between how much it's going to affect your marriage or not is how much healing they've done. If they haven't done healing, then they're going to be, you're, you're in for a ride. You're in for a ride just because, I mean, forget about, even if the parents live in Antarctica, this person's self is not developed. Try being married to a person without a self. It creates a lot of strain. If the person has done a lot of healing and they're really, and by healing, what I mean is, I'm going to talk about what healing is. I, I'd love to talk about what healing is. But if they have done healing, then you're going to get a package deal. You're going to get, you know, their mother and father is always going to be a job. It's always going to be a thing that you have to contend with and you have to figure out. And they're, they're going to be the opposite of supportive, right? They're going to be a job and create a strain for you. And you may have somebody who is so beautifully developed because they've been through stuff and they've, when you have to build your own self, as opposed to it coming naturally from your childhood, it comes with a certain, with a certain beauty. Resilience. A resilience, a depth, an understanding of what's going on. You know, there's a lot of beauty to being with somebody who's really done their work and is really developed, really beautifully developed. Is it something one can detect from the Shidduch experience system? It's funny, right before our podcast, our interview just now, I was reading Dr. Kiel McBride's article and she said, in one of her articles, she said, there's often people have a lot of shame for having fallen in with a narcissist. And she says, I want to say clearly that it could really, really, it could be very hard. It could be undetectable. Now, that's what she says. I don't know. I feel like if a person grew up with a, a lot of really, really healthy, a healthy sense of self, I feel like a narcissist would be boring to them. It won't compel them. It won't attract them because they won't be smelling out that same development inside. Narcissistic parents, that's harder. I think that's much harder to know in the shit of system. Sometimes when it's really... Um, When it's really blatant, you can hear it, but it's really hard to detect. It's really mm -hmm. hard, to, especially the nice ones. And again, there's narcissism and there's narcissistic personality disorder. I think maybe it's easier to detect if there's a parent with narcissistic personality disorder, if you listen really well when you make your phone calls. But if it's a high level of narcissism, but sometimes they're really healthy and okay and can have empathy, then I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, really. I always wonder it when I'm doing research. When I do research for my kids, I always say, a too perfect family makes me very, very, very nervous. I got to see what the problems are. That way I know, not, not what the problems are. I have to see the humanity. I have to see the humanity because then I know that the humanity is there and it's okay and it's good and it's a healthy, balanced kind of humanity. But if there's no humanity showing, I get really scared. Wow, that's a powerful statement. I use that detection in terms of my social environment in general. Like if I don't see that humanity side, there's just a limit to how much conversation I'm going to have. <laughs> and is narcissism something that can develop or is it something people are born with? Meaning you marry somebody who's not narcissistic. Can they turn narcissistic on you? That's my question. <laughs> nobody's born with it. Nobody, nobody, nobody. It's, it's, a, it's a thing that develops from an injury, an emotional injury. It's a protective shield to a deep emotional in injury. That's what narcissism is. 
That's why people can heal from narcissism. And I just want to say, like, as a, as a mother and a wife, like, people, I, we're always questioning, like, am I being totally narcissistic here? Am I a, am I, am I a narcissist and I don't know it? Like, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. But if you're asking the question, you're ready, you know that you're healable. Just do your work, you know? Okay, so one second. What was your question again? Was it something you're born with and you said no? Can you? Oh, can, someone- can you become narcissistic? I think a person can become more narcissistic. I think especially codependents encourage narcissism in their partner, if that makes any sense. If my worth is based on your assessment of me, that makes me a codependent, right? Then I will do anything and everything to make sure you assess me well. And I will start like over, over efforting on your behalf so you can under effort. And if the partner is like, cool, I can live with that. That's great. Then you are developing their narcissism. And you know what? Also, I think uh, bitterness, when people become bitter, when they can't handle certain things in life and it embitters them, I think that brings up the narcissism level. If we're not careful, we can become more and more self-absorbed as life goes on. I think so. I think it's something we, we have to keep, keep our eyes open about how self-absorbed we are or if we're growing into being a more giving person or a more self-absorbed person. I'd like to move into more practical tips and techniques for anyone who doesn't have time to do the healing and the proper therapy in time for Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. What are some techniques or language or scenarios you can describe that can take that edge or one big rock off the shoulder? Right. The way that narcissism hurts us is that it turns us invisible to ourselves. That is the ultimate pain of being with a narcissism. I am helpless. Obviously, if they also manipulate us and control us, we have to deal with that. But the, the, the deep inner pain is that I stop existing and trying to exist instead is, is frenetic and it's painful and it makes you feel like you're crazy. So the healing comes from there's three steps. There's really three steps to the healing. And if you don't have time for the healing, just know these steps. The first one is you have to have your story straight. The more your story is straight, the more you've got a shot at staying in self, even in the face of someone else's narcissism. So get your story straight. What does that mean? Get your story straight. Know what's going on. Know what's going on. See through it. Learn words like gaslighting. Learn words like if you're feeling confused, I'm, I'm quoting a lot of Pia Melody's work here. If you're feeling confused, it's a sign usually that someone else is being crazy. Know that. If something doesn't make sense to you, is a good chance that someone else is being crazy. No, try to understand. It could be a years, years, years long process, but if you don't have time, do what you can to get your story straight. Oh, that's dad intimidating mom. Next comes this. Next comes this, like, boop, boop, boop. This is what's happening. Oh, so you get it. it, So it's get your story straight, get into what's truly happening. It removes you into somebody who's observing instead of participating. Yes, yes, very much. And then step two is to take care of your own inner child, meaning when there's an ouch, you're allowed to feel the ouch. Trauma boils down, and these are the words of. Bessel van der Kork in The Body Keeps the Score, 
Trauma is when you're not allowed to know what you know or feel what you feel. So if you're in there, if you want to come out the least traumatized possible, please help yourself to know what you know and give yourself permission to feel what you feel. It doesn't mean that you have to act or any differently. Just that alone keeps you from further being wounded. It might be more painful. It might be very hard, much easier to go into denial or to blame yourself or to do all those things. It might be more painful, but you come out more unscathed on the other side of it after Yontif. So that's step one, know your story, know what you know. The second story is let yourself feel what you feel. And the third one is give back their shame. Give back their problems. Wait a second. This isn't actually a reflection of me. This is a reflection of you. I did nothing wrong here. That's really, really, really important. And that's something you say to yourself or back to them? You say it to yourself. You want If you could say it back to them, then uh, great. Then good luck with that. <laughs> if they are just narcissistic, but don't have a personality disorder, they might actually hear it. If you could do that, that would be awesome. But if they can't hear it, then don't, you know, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Say it to yourself. Say it to your friend. Say it to your spouse. Know it. This is not me. This is you. I mean, we feel dirty when we're in a dirty picture, but we're not dirty just because we're in a dirty picture. Know that I am fine. I am clean. I am special. I am beautiful. Being here in this disgusting, smelly of an environment doesn't make me dirty. It just means I'm a beautiful person in a smelly room. What do you tell your children? Your when you go to your parents, I've heard some great stuff. I've heard some, I've heard client, you know, people coming from a peaceful place, some beautiful things, you know, Bobby doesn't understand X, Y, Z, or Bobby doesn't. Sometimes your parents, you, your kids see you having to separate yourself and you can just tell your kids like, sometimes I, you know, mommy has a hard time. So I need to take, I need to fill my bucket. I'm, I'm just filling my bucket so that I could be nice to everybody. Or, you know, you're allowed to, without finger pointing, you're allowed to describe that there's something going on and mommy has a job here. Or there's something going on and, you know, Bubby has a hard time saying nice, you know, saying, saying things nicely. So we try to understand, you know, what she has a hard time saying things nicely. So we'll try to understand. It, dep- it depends on how narcissistic they are. And, and if they're manipulative and if they're gaslighting, like different scenarios cause different things. A, a lot of, Does it cross over? What do you mean? Meaning, do they treat their grandchildren with that narcissism as well? Or it's just for the children? Does it transfer to the second generation? Both happen. Yes, sometimes. No, sometimes. Sometimes even they're extra kinds of the second generation as a way of getting back at the first generation and trying to steal the kids away. That can even. Every scenario is possible. All combinations are possible. They could be that like their issues don't come out on the grandchildren. They really are yummy grandparents. They really could be. It's unbelievable. It's shocking. It's like, wow, why'd you have to do that to your kids if you have the capacity to really see somebody? But I don't know. Everybody's complex and they, that's the way it is. And sometimes since they could be nice to their grandchildren from a good place, nice to their grandchildren from a bad place, they could be mean to their grandchildren. It's all combinations. It's all, it's all possible. Everything's game. Everything. Yeah. Is there anything I'm not asking that you want to bring up? I kind of want to bring up that there's a lot of popular literature about narcissism that I feel you have to protect yourself from. A lot of the YouTube and the books are written by people who have not really done their healing yet. And they are angry books. 
And I know when I read those books, I walk away all bent out of shape. I'm cool. And then there's other things, books that are written by people who have done their work and are at peace with what is, and they give you a, a path to healing that is more healing. Dr. Carol McBride, my favorite author, who wrote, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? And Will I Ever Be Free of You? That's for children of narcissists and people divorcing a narcissist. Before she wrote her book, she has done so much healing. She asked her mother permission. That's how clear she was that she was able to ask it without having to sneak around. She was able to stay so whole in her own integrity while writing about this with her mother. I mean, I think there's a wholesomeness there that's so deep. So when she writes, her information is so, is so about, I need to be whole, not I need, a, I need to get back at them. Now, anger is a step because whenever we realize that someone's been hurting us, the first human reaction is anger. Like, how dare you? So anger is a necessary step in the healing process. Very rare. It always is. But it, it's not, it, just because you're angry doesn't mean you've healed. I think it means you're on your way to healing. What you're looking for is to be able to look at this with a really deep compassion for yourself and a peacefulness and a wholeness inside, despite the wording that you went through. And is there a way to detect what is unhealthy literature to engage with? If you read it and you're more mad. Okay. I'm, is there a way to bad. prevent yourself from reading something? <laughs> Yeah, I think the people, generally the people who are more fly by night, like just a couple YouTube videos, anybody who's done like serious, serious, serious books that are well-received and is, is really well-known, is a better chance that they are coming from a healthier place. We wanted to talk yeah. about dance therapy. Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you. Part of the healing, really the whole healing process is about coming into who you are. That's ultimately what healing is. It's knowing what you know. It's feeling what you feel. It's giving back the shame. And it's, it's, I am, I am me. I am whole. I am special. And, and, and getting that message in. And I've discovered, I, I think the world has discovered that there has to be done cognitively and it has to be done in your heart and it has to be done in your body. I've discovered that beautiful music and dance is a way to touch yourself and to see yourself and to hold yourself and to hear yourself that really bypasses all the chatter in our brains. So I, I created a program where you dance and then you jump on that opportunity to be with this person who you really are by journaling right afterwards. And this program has like a dance journaling, dance journaling, dance journaling, dance journaling pattern. And then at the end, we just, we just share. And it's, it's so fascinating how impactful it is. I'm, it's so fascinating. I brought into an individual session with a client of mine a piece of music with very simple choreography that she could just, it's simple enough that she could get lost in it. And this girl had such narcissistic, this woman had such narcissistic wounding. And I, she couldn't do it in front of me. I left the room and she danced in my office by herself. And when she invited me back in, she said she was crying. And she says, you know, I never realized my body has its own language and I need to let it speak. And I'm like, hallelujah, this is awesome. 
you have pushed yourself in a new way. <laughs> like You're touching yourself. That's what the healing is. Yes, we've got to clarify all the twists and turns and 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 lies and gaslighting that you had in your and get your story really straight. But you just felt self, and that, that's so profound. And and it gives you a glimpse into who you're going to be at the end of this whole road. So I have this program, and it's really just being developed. But so far, I've also found that people do their trauma healing and come away uplifted from it rather than really, really, really flooded. And that's shocking me. And I'm realizing that that's an amazing asset, an amazing thing I, I want to bring to people is the ability to touch yourself without getting flooded. Because I'm a therapist. I sit in my office and, and people get flooded all day or fight being flooded or try that's to flooded. recuperate from being flooded. Flooded is when the emotions are so much that... Drained? You need to come back to yourself. That you lost, you, 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 you're, not, you're not grounded. You can't, you're not, there's one thing to be sad. There's another to be flooded. Flooded is when it's bigger than you and it stops being helpful. So this keeps it kind of like the right size in terms of joy and, and inner work, joy and inner work, joy and inner work, who I am and what the lies are, who I am and what the false truths that I've taken in all my life are, back and forth and back and forth in a way that's so powerful and people consistently walk out saying they say they feel hopeful which surprises me like what does hope come in here but it does because i think when you feel ourselves and we're able to hold it and not get flooded by it it makes us hopeful and it gives us ourselves. and there's something very 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 wonderful about that it reminds me of yoga it reminds me of the ketamine treatments that people are very into today this mm -hmm. Your, your physical body has what to do with your emotional and cognitive experience. And we should yes. use that. And I think healing heal. from, and healing from narcissism is all about coming home to yourself. You weren't given a self. You weren't given a home that, that can support yourself. So coming home to yourself. And if you, when we come home to ourselves physically, all the systems get involved. All the systems feel it. But I, you know, I always had a problem with dance and yoga that like, okay, I know I'm feeling it, but like, I feel like there's more I could do with it. And then if you go straight into the journaling, you're like, oh my God, I wrote that. Oh my goodness. I feel that. Wow. <laughs> I had somebody at one of my past sessions who told me like, I can never journal more than a page. It just doesn't happen. And I'm a good journaler. I feel like I'm a good journaler. She like, she holds up her notebook. She goes, I just journaled six pages. Wow. I want to thank Esther Leo Marchette for introducing us and suggesting mm -hmm. this topic. Me too. Thank you, Esther Leia. Any closing remarks before we wrap up? Any closing remarks? I know you didn't want people to start calling you and booking sessions with you because you <laughs> have such a busy practice right now. So do you have right. any suggestions okay. for people who are ready to sign up? Yes. I would say that the work of PM Melody is very, very in line with this and IFS, internal family systems. If you find any therapist who deals with relational trauma, it's funny. I just had a session, a first session with somebody who's been through years of therapy. And they said, I always stayed away from trauma therapists because I have depression. I have anxiety. I have this, I have that. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh, you have so much relational trauma. Your father is monstrous. Like 
I'm sorry, but it is. And it gives you trauma. It's relational trauma. And it works the way other trauma works. And although you don't have like a big flashback with PTSD, your life is a series of small flashbacks all the time. So go to a trauma therapist, especially if they feel relational trauma. That's what you're struggling with. The book, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? I always recommend. It's for daughters of narcissistic mothers, so it's harder on the sons and the father. I don't have a good book for that. But relational trauma and internal family systems, which is about coming home to self, or PMLD's work was about inner child, which is the same thing as coming home to self, is good for this work. So find a therapist who really specializes in that. And also, if your therapist is always trying to excuse your mom or your dad, it means that they're blocked to seeing that sometimes mom is just a person. Like, it's funny, in this work, if you ever stood on the grocery line and looked at all the ladies, so some of them are like, interesting, just because someone's your mother and you do have to treat her as your mother and there's a soul connection and I will never take that away. It doesn't mean she isn't like one of those ladies on the grocery line. She may have issues. Your mother might be a lady with issues. Just contemplate that thought. Your father might be another guy in shul. I wouldn't want every single guy in shul as my father. Certainly not. So who's to say that your father isn't one of those guys in shul? Like step out of the spell. You're not a child anymore. They're adults and your mom's another lady on the grocery line and your father's another guy in shul and you have a special mitzvah keep it on my aim and you have a special soul connection and that doesn't take away from the fact that they are a person. So have an open mind to it and it doesn't mean you're judging and if you feel guilty, you might want to question why you're feeling guilty because I think healthy parents want their children to know that they are imperfect and they want their children to heal from that. And I, I'm talking a lot here, but <laughs> I actually was talking to a fellow therapist the other day and she was struggling with this. And she's like, how do you deal with the guilt? I said, one of my trainers, Kara Weed, always says the health, the, the best part of your parent wants you to be doing this work. They want you to be connected to, to them, but not to their sickness, not to their unhealthy side. The best part of your parents wants you to differentiate from anything they gave you that's toxic. So. If you can't see it today and there's, you can't find any part of your parents that wants this, their neshama wants this. And just keep that in mind. The best part of your parent wants you to be separated and healthy and living your life and able to give to them. But giving doesn't mean meshing. Giving doesn't mean I have to make your life be what? Giving doesn't mean being taking, one with them. Taking away from your sense of self. Yes. It doesn't mean taking away from your sense of self. And a healthy parent and the healthiest part of your parent wants you to have a self. Thank you so much, Esther. This has been a great conversation. I learned so much. And it's scary to think about how common we have this always with therapists who specialize in anything. They think everyone has these issues because everyone they meet and work with has these issues. But I hope for humanity, most people are not narcissistic and don't have narcissistic disorders. And there's hope for humanity <laughs> and for people's humanity. Yes. And there's very few people with narcissistic personality disorder. And if you have a parent with that, it's a really big deal. And the rest of us have to just heal from whatever level of narcissism and use the strengths that we have that those very same parents gave us to become the people that deep down our parents want us to be, which is separate and healthy and whole. 
If you would like to send me any links to books or articles that you've mentioned, I'm happy to include them. If that's too much, that's okay. And thank you so much. Thank you, Francesca. Thanks for listening until the end. And I really hope you enjoyed this last episode of this year. If you would like to check out the links mentioned in this episode, I linked many resources for you, thanks to Esther, in the show notes. So go check them out. Thank you for all your kind messages. Thank you for all your sponsorships. We have another year in the books. Have a ksiva v'chasima tova, shana tova umetuka. See you next year.